0: everybody, hope you're having a great day, it's Sunday, July 20th, 2014. Uh, one of the benefits of having a podcast is that you can talk to really smart people uh, within the e-commerce space or not, and it it's a great networking tool. So this week, I've got my friend Brendan Tully back on the show, uh, he was on very early on in episode 22, where he talked about some business fundamentals, and uh, he runs a company called the Search Engine Shop, and he also released a new product called Pareto e-commerce, uh, where it's an action product for store owners to kind of optimize their store and to make more sales. So um, he has experience in running his own store uh, around the six to seven figure range. And now he works as a marketing agency for hundreds of stores in Australia uh, and around the world. So this week, he does a teardown of my own store, uh, balloftheletter.com. And we go over some on-site tweaks, uh, conversion tips, and tools that he would add to kind of uh, figure out how to get more people to buy. So since then, uh, something kind of cool is I've made about an extra $500 uh, extra in sales. So uh, be alert and take notes. So uh, if you want to find out more about Brendan, check out his website, uh, Paretoecommerce.com. So with that being said, uh, let's get into this week's episode. Don't deliver a product, deliver an experience. You're listening to the Build My Online Store podcast, and I'm your host, Terry Lynn. We're here to talk about running an online store and building a strong e-commerce brand to take your online store to the next level. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com. Let's get on with the show. Yeah, and so since you've been on the show, people know who you are. We don't need to go through all that jargon. You guys can check out episode 22 to find out more about Brendan. And with that being said, let's get started then.
1: Cool, man. Okay, so I've been through the site and I've spent 10 or 15 minutes going through it. And you can't, you have some classic mistakes which are fairly common for um, new e-commerce sites. So so I approach this the same way as I'd approach it if you were a consulting client. So the first thing we do is go through, look at the kind of best practice and stuff and pick up any quick wins there are on the website. So I've kind of got four, I've chunked it down into four sections. And
0: before we get into it, this is the same process you go through in Pareto e-commerce too, right? mm Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, gotcha. Absolutely, so the first section in Pareto e-commerce is all about quick wins because particularly, if you're a six or seven figure e-commerce site, you already got a lot of the foundational stuff in place and small little tweaks and changes can make a massive difference, so. Um, yeah, we go through all these quick wins and it's pretty simple stuff, but often there's one or two of them that are just completely missed that make a huge difference. So, in terms of the first thing we do, we ha- just have a look at analytics and make sure it's in place at so Google Analytics um, and making sure the e commerce tracking is turned on. So, we just normally check the code, look at the, the view source on the website. So, on your site, I've gone in and done a view source and it looks like the analytics code is actually duplicated. So it's in there twice. Um, so that's not a big deal from a tracking of visitors perspective, but hmm. it might be breaking your engagement stats and it might also be breaking your e-commerce tracking. Your so that would be the first action point is to remove one of those duplicates. So there's one at the top.
0: Yeah, I think it's the header, one at the header. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah, there's on the header, one in yeah, the head, okay. header and then there's one in the footer as well. So they've been duplicated for some reason. So that would be an easy win and, your analytics data right now, has probably got, it's probably inaccurate. So that would be the first thing to fix. Um, second thing, I don't have access to your analytics. So I don't know if the e-commerce tracking is actually working. So we'd make sure that that's turned on and the sales data is going into into
0: Google Analytics. Yeah, yeah I have that on. Uh, one thing I also did was I did a funnel visualization. Uh, is that something that you find helpful too? Like I just found it helpful to see where people are dropping off on the site, but is it like a critical thing to do or?
1: I wouldn't say for a brand new site that it's going to give you a lot of leverage, but yeah, it's definitely once you've got kind of the boxes checked, it's worth checking out. I've got a few more comments about your checkout as well, so further down the list. Um, once the e-commerce tracking is working, we have some data. We do a check to make sure it's accurate. So for a lot of e-commerce systems, they don't actually capture all the conversions in analytics, and most people assume that's a hundred percent accurate. So if you're basing Particularly if you're a bigger site and you're making big decisions about AdWords spend or certain marketing channels where you're making those big decisions whether to turn them on or off. If you're making decisions on faulty data, then that's a problem. So the next thing that we do, once we have analytics track e-commerce tracking turned on, let it run for seven days or seven to 14 days, so one to two weeks, we go in and check – to make sure that the numbers in analytics are actually accurate against the orders we have in the system. So the easiest way to do that is to go in and check. So in analytics, we can see the order IDs. So we're just going and match those up for the last two weeks of orders or one week of orders in the e-commerce system. So again, that would be something for you to action just to make sure that
0: it's correct. So sure saying when I get an order and see my big commerce backend, that is actually showing up in analytics too, essentially.
1: Yep. So you can drill in and see all the order data, see the dollar amounts and all the products you've sold. So um, particularly I know Magento has big problems with this where sometimes it doesn't capture all the PayPal um, payments because of the way, you know, the way PayPal works where it pushes people out to PayPal and then they come back to the site. So often that coming back to the site, if it doesn't happen, it breaks the e-commerce tracking or something goes wrong in that process. So for people listening i would absolutely check to make sure that that e-commerce data is accurate because i'll probably in you know 30 40 of the time we see it that's not right so
0: yeah i think that's guilty as charged because i was i got a few orders last week and it didn't show up on my analytics but i was like oh i think that's why i have two codes because i think one i put in my shopping cart like you can paste the code in and then i didn't see the sale so i started putting it in the header and that's probably why it's duplicated so <laughs> yeah,
1: if it's duplicated, it'll definitely, yeah, it'll definitely break the analytics track, their tracking. So, yeah. And I think for you, if you just send BigCommerce an email, they'll probably tell you the exact code that where it actually should be to make all their stuff work as well. Um, okay, so the next thing we do, so that's Google Analytics kind of sorted. Particularly because you're a brand new website, we get Crazy Egg Heatmaps Analytics installed. So we would do it on at a minimum on the homepage, and then usually we pick the top three to five pages on the website. Yours is a bit of a smaller site, so you know we might put it on all the product pages, but we definitely get it on the homepage, and what we're looking for there, we run the heat map tool for at least 30 days, but we wanna look at anything that's below the fold that's getting a lot of clicks, so um, just to explain the concept of above and below the fold, anything that displays on your, your screen before you scroll is what we call above the fold. So we want all the important stuff to be above the fold. So if there's something that, you know, we have to, if we're looking at the the crazy egg data and there's something below the fold that's getting a lot of clicks, that probably should be moved up in the layer of the site tweaked. So because you're a new site, a relatively new site, that would be my next step is get that in and just see where people are clicking on the site because there might be stuff that's right on the bottom in the footer menu that should be in the main menu, for example.
0: So if people are, say, clicking um, shipping information in the footer, it should be placed more on the top somewhere. Absolutely.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Or maybe its own, like a main menu item dedicated to it. Gotcha.
0: And is there a certain amount of visits um, that it makes this heat map data more valuable? Like, is it like, you need like a thousand data points or like or do you just let it run for thirty days and see what you got. Because I, yeah, I think a lot of new sites they have the traffic problem. Like they say they're getting, you know, fifty visitors a day, or they're just really not at that big enough traffic level.
1: Yeah, it's hard to say. Like, a, we'd need to run it for at least thirty days. If it's a, you know, if it's a big site and it's already doing big traffic numbers, that's a different sort of scenario. But I would say a minimum of thirty days, and you probably do need about a thousand visits for it to be, or at least five hundred visits for it to be useful data to. But, you know, if you have a look at it, you can see if there's a trend where something is getting so many clicks, you know, it's obvious you don't need to kind of give it the time to run or you don't need that much traffic to tell Then you know, sometimes there'll be things that are just really obvious that stand out. And often there's areas that people are clicking on that don't actually link somewhere as well, like there might be a banner or an image or something that people are clicking all the time, it doesn't go anywhere and that's another easy fix. So, the next step, step two, would be to get Google product listing ads sorted. So, yes, I, I don't have some, that yet.
0: I need to do that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I just did quick searches. I just jumped yeah. in the, into the shopping tab and I searched all 11 wallets and I didn't get anything. So, that would be an easy win for you is getting that up and running um, and at least testing it. It's cheap traffic, it's highly qualified, it's going to be people who are typing in thin leather wallets, Italian leather wallets, that sort of stuff, money clips. So it's worth at least testing, even if you just start with a $5 a day budget. Um, and on top of that, we'd get you listed in some free price comparison engines as well. So two easy ones that can often generate sales by themselves and the way they're structured can give you some backlinks, shopwiki.com and definecom So normally we do the so we do Google Shopping, Define, and ShopWiki all in one go.
0: Gotcha. And so for most store owners looking to implement this too, uh, is this like something you can do in like two, three days on your own or do you need like a professional to help you set up the feed and all that stuff?
1: It depends Depends on how many products. So, And it depends what CMS you're on. So if you're on one of the mainstream CMSs, so like Volusion, Commerce, Shopify, it's really easy to do and they have support that's going to help you to a degree. And they have like walkthroughs and really good wikis and knowledge bases. So if you're somewhat tech savvy, you can work it out. And also there's um, Shopify plugs into retail tower, which is really, really easy to get set up with. Um, If you have a bigger site with a lot of products and you have some technical expertise, but you just don't want to waste the time. Um, GoDataFeed.com can also be really good for, for setting up more complex feeds, and they have feed setup services. I think that starts at sixty bucks a month or something like that. So they'll and they can take the feed and plug it into all sorts of different gotcha, places. Gotcha. So
0: you also mentioned something called Shopwiki. I'm just on the site now. So this is kind of like a. Amazon aggregator type of thing, like they just find feeds and they put them here, or what is the
1: deal? Pretty much, yeah. So it's a it's just a free price comparison engine. So there's no there's no real cost. Well, there's no cost to be there, you know, apart from ten or fifteen minutes of your time. And we've seen that some clients do get direct sales and some traffic from them. So it doesn't hurt to do it.
0: And you only have to set it up once, and then you're in there, and it'll just that's it. Whenever people stop by, they'll see. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, very cool. And do you see this like trending? in e-commerce like do you see other engines popping up or is it just kind of like anomaly with shopwiki or kind of these sites
1: yeah i think there's a couple of free ones there's definitely if you google if you search your primary keywords your primary the keywords you're trying to target there's probably some price engines that rank highly for those terms so that's usually how apart from you know ebay and amazon that's usually how we kind of select the price engines to target and run you know, ads for clients on and those can be really cheap it's kind of a lot of them hijack you know the organic search results and they rank really high when they probably shouldn't but you know they're getting the traffic so and when you're advertising on some of these engines it's like 20 cents or 40 cents a click so it doesn't hurt to at least test them for a month so if you never test them you never know
0: right yeah it's interesting because I was listening to uh, this week's some startups a couple of days ago I think you have this guy from like product hunt. Do you see like Dan Norris post about that uh, on his Facebook? No, I didn't. Yeah, so I guess it's like an aggregator, kind of like this too, but it's like curated from a bunch of tech guys in SF. And it's kind of interesting. Like they basically it's like a Reddit, but you have like product aggregators and you can just upvote, downvote products. And every day they post like 10 new products on there. And it sounded kind of interesting, but I checked it out. Like yeah, it seems pretty new, but I don't really know how it's going to work. But because yeah, I brought this up because you mentioned ShopWiki. So anyways, anyways, getting off topic here. All right, so uh, next one.
1: Yeah so product listing ads and also they're not really set and forget so they can break quite easily the feed breaks or if you, you know you change the data, um, change the product data in, in your CMS then it can break the feed quite a bit. So as well as setting them up I usually say do a calendar reminder so we manage it on behalf of clients but if you're going to DIY it set up weekly or a fortnightly reminder to log in, log into the merchant center and check the feed and make sure there's no errors showing up and all the products are approved. Um, and also checking the AdWords and, you know, looking at the numbers and making sure that they're actually profitable as well. Okay, so step three, there's some really simple SEO things we can do that don't involve backlinks and um, they're best practices and a lot of people don't talk about them or know them. So the first thing that I do on the organic front is just jump into Google and do a search against your domain name. Yeah, site, colon, So doing that, can pick up all sorts of problems so we do that and we can see it's brought back 65 results so it means there's no real issues with indexation that's roughly how many pages you have on the site so that's okay often particularly with like a magento site there'll be a hundred pages on the site and google will have indexed a thousand so you know if those numbers if the the number of pages indexed doesn't really match what's on your site there's some sort of canonical canonical issue or some sort of indexation issue with the site likewise if you know, if your site only returned five pages indexed, and you know there's roughly 50 pages on the site, then we have some sort of other
0: indexation issue. Oh um, is this is like a super basic thing to like check, like
1: yeah, it's <laughs> like, like
0: a no-brainer thing.
1: Yeah, it's like a you know, when I'm talking to clients on the phone or prospects on the phone, and kind of look, you know, they ask, they ask for some quick wins or ballpark cost or whatever. This is the first thing I do is just going and see what the site looks like from an SEO perspective. So I can see all sorts of stuff looking at this. So. Some other things that are really easy to pick up is um, some of your meta descriptions need works. Now, in the SEO space, a lot of people talk about backlinks and rankings and penalties and all this sort of stuff. But there's not much talk about click-through rate. So it's funny, you know, when in the kind of AdWords space, it's all about click-through rate. People talk about how you can swap the two lines, the top and bottom line of an ad around and it can double the click-through rate. But nobody really talks about optimizing meta descriptions to, to improve click through rate so for you there's some classic mistakes with meta descriptions they're either too long or too short um, they use all lowercase whereas if you use capitals like, for, for the important words it, in, it can increase click through rate and often they're not written in a very salesy manner
0: so yeah like I see a lot of it's pulling just from my menu or like some old lorem ipsum stuff I have on the site and it's just pulling the default content on the site. So whereas I should actually go in and write like a, I think like what, it's like a hundred something character description optimized for this, right?
1: Yeah, so you do have it set, but it's too short. So that's why it's coming up and it's showing it's, I've got two different sets of results. So one of them is showing um, your menu item and then the other one is showing, if I, if I Google your name, it's actually showing um, the meta description as set. So right now your meta description is, uh, on the homepage, it's settle for nothing less than a handcrafted Italian leather wallet, free international shipping included. So, you're probably, you're losing, a, well, you're not using 30% of the space. So, something more like beautiful handcrafted Italian leather wallets that are thin, light, and fit easily in your pocket. Gotcha. It's Fire even got lock. loading in there. <laughs> yeah, you got to use sexy words, man. You gotta yeah, use loading, cowl. please
0: wait. Oh, that's so not sexy. <laughs> yeah,
1: man. Yeah, I mean, and you've got the hashtag in there and the view cart, and so yeah.
0: So it's interesting because I pull it up on site colon Paul Leather, and I, when you search at Google, it's two meta descriptions, right? So this is something in my backend I need to go look at where it's actually.
1: Yeah, so I would make it longer, sex it up a bit, um, and also I think you probably need a little bit more text content on the homepage because pretty much the most of your home page is images, so.
0: Yeah, the main the main page, right? Yeah. Like the
1: Yeah, gotcha. So setting yeah, I
0: think under the Yeah, I know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, even adding like uh, alt tags and title tags for the images in your banner will fatten out the content. That'll probably double if you just added a line of content for each of those banner images, you'd effectively double the text content on the home page.
0: Gotcha. And when you when you're inspecting the content, are you doing like the inspect element or are you just uh, looking at terms of like the text visible on the screen?
1: Uh, I do a view source and often I'll just highlight, I'll run the mouse over and kind of highlight it and it, you know, just by highlighting it, I can see where the blocks of the the elements are and I, you know, if you click on stuff and drag it, I can see that they're all images. Cool. So homepage meta description and another big one are, um, product page meta descriptions as well because you know, more often than not with an e-commerce site, client customers are not coming in through the homepage. They're coming in through one of the product pages. So the better, better the product page meta descriptions are written, the higher the click-through rate is going to be so you get more traffic. So, you know, for an example, you have for the your product called the Capella Money Clip. So right now the meta description is uh, free shipping for this Money Clip wallet by ball of leather. The Capella Money Clip wallet holds Six to eight cards and fifteen notes. So, you know, you could sex it up, change the words around a little bit, and you would, you know, you could easily double the, the click-through rate. So, something more like the Capella Money Clip Wallet is a stylish, ultra-slim wallet designed to hold six to eight cards and fifteen notes. Buy online with fast, insured, worldwide shipping.
0: Gotcha. So, so basically, you have like an AdWords mindset when you're approaching these meta tags. Exactly. Right? Gotcha. So it's more punchy, yep, yep. sexy copy, like one, two sentences, bam, thank you, ma'am, kind of.
1: Yeah, it's like a mini sales letter. So we're, we're basically selling selling the click. That's what we're, so we're not trying to sell the product in the description, but we're trying to get them to click, you know, we want their interest and attention enough so they go through the website. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: All right, very cool, very helpful, all right. Anything else about this or should we move on to the next one?
1: And one more thing I can see just doing the site search, there's a leather site as well kicking around that I can see in the search
0: results, so. Yeah, there's a subdomain I have ticking around that I need to fix that. So it's on a WordPress, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's gonna show up here. Like, I have it not on the main page, but I gotta, I gotta figure out what to do with this. Because so. I think I had this when Big Commerce didn't have a blog. And then they added the blog function, I think, like a month ago. So this subdomain is just kind of sitting around and I'm not really doing anything with it. So <laughs> couldn't escape your eye. <laughs> no,
1: I know, you know, that's a simple mistake. And that's, that's not a big deal, but often you'll find... You know all sorts of weird subdomains, particularly on established sites, this sort of doing the site colon domain name search uncovers all sorts of skeletons in the cupboard. So. Yeah, because this
0: is the best way to really yeah. get like a bird's eye view of your whole on-site SEO, right? Basically without going to each page and going to the tab and changing each Yeah, way. it's
1: a nice, quick, easy way to do yeah. it. The other tools, so if I need to do deeper analysis, using uh, a tool called Screaming Frog SEO Spider is also really good for getting more into this stuff and it's also free, it'll index up to 500 pages for free so that's also another good tool to check out.
0: Is Screaming Frog or Spider? Screaming Frog, yeah, SEO Spider. (laughs) Okay, Screaming Frog and SEO Spider, gotcha. Cool. Um, And then
1: I've got a, you know, just some easy, just going through the site and kind of working my way through the sales process. One thing that most e-commerce businesses don't do is go through their own checkout on a regular basis. So particularly where it's a site that's a couple of years old, the guy who runs the business probably hasn't been through the checkout in years. So I just walked through your checkout and there was some kind of – there's a few things that I picked up. So one one big easy one – so I had a look at the Contact Us page as well and you've got a phone number on there. One easy way to build more trust is to add the phone number to the header so it shows on all pages.
0: Gotcha. So you would put it like right next to the view cart up there?
1: yeah. Around there? because the, the big commerce has that line there so where that view card is is a menu so you could just add the telephone number in there nice and easy and it would be a very quick code change um, and it would be an easy conversion win even if people don't call you it's going to help the conversion rate
0: yeah I've only gotten like one call ever and, and I called the guy back and he didn't answer so <laughs> but most of them are yeah. emails though but yeah <laughs> it is what it is
1: yeah it's just a trusting you yeah, know, yeah. people know they pick up the phone and call you they're more likely to convert. The second one is the default, the Medgen, uh, sorry, the commerce Express checkout is not very conversion rate optimized. So, if you head to the first page of the checkout, let me just bring it up here. It's got five steps and it looks a bit daunting. If you, um, if you turn off the single page checkout, it will actually convert slightly better because it only shows um, the field that they're filling out at that time. So, it's just a cleaner experience and less cluttered and, and less confusing. So...
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Cause I started with the original one first, and I thought no one wants to go to different, separate pages. But I just haven't tested it a lot. But I, I I know what you mean. That it looks a little daunting when you have like five steps. And actually, when you enter PayPal, a six step jumps up. Yeah. Actually. I don't. Know if, I don't know if you went that far, but it's, it's yeah. kind of annoying. And then, I think it's just part of the theme. I can't really hack it. At least on my there island.
1: is a so but in big commerce there's a setting. A, there's a setting somewhere to turn it from. I think it's from one-page express checkout to multi-step. Now it's kind of like. So normally we would say one-page checkout converts better. So big commerce is kind of the other way around, where the one-page checkout is kind of cluttered and ugly versus the the multi-step checkout. Um, but this is something we do. So almost all CMSs have a more optimized conversion optimized. Um, checkout that's more simpler and more intuitive and less confusing so um, even if you're not on big commerce like magento is there's so many bad things in magento and i hate to keep using it an example but there are there are so many one-page checkout plugins for magento that actually double the conversion rate just by installing you know a new checkout system so it can make a massive difference so it's definitely worth at least yeah, testing um,
0: what about uh, WooCommerce since some people listening might be on that too? There are,
1: I can, there are some alternative checkouts, but there's no simplified checkout option, but I can send you a link. I have a link to a page where a web dev shop have given it an example of how they've coded a more simplified checkout. So just stick that in the show notes, but there's no plugin where you can just install it and it simplifies the
0: checkout. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm not on a WooCommerce, so I have no idea, but just in case someone... Was on that I think. All right, cool. And uh, anything else about the checkout? I know um, we talked about kind of the different steps: one page, two page. Um, you've got so you've got
1: two gateways, so that's awesome. So normally we say to customers if you've only got one payment gateway, that's a problem. But you've got both PayPal and credit card, which is great. Um, and you've also got PayPal express checkout turned off, which is good as well, even though the option says PayPal express, it's at the end of the checkout process. Um, and what I mean is you probably see, you get to a checkout There's an option to check out and there's an option to go by PayPal. Now, most of the time we see a conversion increase removing that button because with the button in place, if someone clicks it, the customer goes to PayPal first to complete the order, then they're brought back to the site, and PayPal pushes the order into the database. Whereas the normal checkout process, the order happens on the website first, and then they get pushed across to PayPal. And that's better because it pushes them through their bandit cart system, and it also gets the order. So if something breaks on the PayPal side, then you know, we still have the order in the system. We can follow up with the customer. So that's another good thing. You're not, you don't have those PayPal buttons turned on
0: Yeah, I've had that happen once or twice where they try to do PayPal, some error comes up and it shows up in my uh, thing. So I guess, actually, I didn't know that Express thing was like that, but now that you told me. Yeah.
1: (laughs) PayPal will tell you that it converts better, but their job is to sell you on PayPal and get more transactions. So what they say is not necessarily the truth. And a lot of people get to PayPal and they're locked out of their account or they can't log in or can't remember their password. They have all sorts of problems when they get there. So definitely better to get the order in your system first before pushing them out to PayPal versus the other way around.
0: Yeah, and I found when I buy stuff that makes me go to PayPal first, sometimes I'll just close the PayPal and like just leave because I abandon the cart or I guess it's more prone to do that. I don't know. I mean, is this is there... Like science to this, or am I just talking out of my ass? Well, here? Uh, I don't. Uh,
1: there's probably a lot of opinions around the web. My own opinion is that the PayPal checkout is really designed to get PayPal signups and subscribers, not to sell your stuff. So their priority is to get people into their system. So, and uh, you know, the, that PayPal checkout has not changed in many, many years. So, you know, I'm sure it's not up to date with the late, latest conversion science or or whatever as well. Um, I don't know if I, so I I put together a cart, so, but it probably wasn't long enough ago. I don't know if you've got an abandoned cart email system, but that would be something else to, to make sure you have in place. Last one I have is testing live chat. So because you're a new website, there could be all sorts of things that customers are wanting that the site doesn't do or they can't find or, or they're having trouble with. So usually we'll say to customers, you don't have to commit to live chat, just do it for 30 days. Um, and try a live chat product that has a proactive chat option so it will actually initiate the chat session with the visitor if they've been on the site for a certain amount of time or visit certain pages so that would be the other thing that's probably worth checking out even if you just run it for a short period of time
0: so would you say uh like say after you've been on a product page for two minutes it just pops up hey do you need help with anything or stuff like that right
1: yeah even even shorter so two minutes is a long time so you know, if they've been on the site for 45 seconds or more, or you know, if they're sitting on a checkout page for too long, then yeah, pop it up and ask them what's happening if they need help.
0: Gotcha, cool, cool. All right, so uh, I guess, you know, kind of thanks for running through the site. So if someone wants to learn more about what you do, kind of prior to e-commerce, like what are some other modules you have in the program? as we wrap things up a little bit.
1: Those are kind of the quick wins we've just been through. You know, once we've done quick wins, then we look at more in-depth SEO stuff. So there's a lot of on-page SEO stuff you can do that will increase traffic or ranking or click-through rate without having to, you know, go after backlinks. So we'd look at that. You know, a big one is getting, fattening out product page descriptions. And, you know, they really should be sales, standalone sales letters. So a customer should be able to, you know, do everything they need and know everything they need to buy that product from that product page, that's an easy win. But you know, that's an example of SEO on page SEO, and also email marketing. Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do around email, like abandoned cart emails. is just the start. You know, you can have pre-buy sequence, um, you can have order follow-up sequence, you have rebuys, all sorts of stuff. So, because SEO and email marketing are effectively the, there's no dollars required for those marketing channels. Those are the, the kind of next things we focus on in uh, the Pareto e-commerce. And then after that, we look at paid traffic, so AdWords, um, and getting AdWords basics set up.
0: Gotcha, so so it's like a really quick wins, and then kind of things you can leverage cheaply before you get into the kind of more pricey things that people are more hesitant to say, all right, gotcha, very cool, very cool. And one thing you mentioned, I heard on other podcasts, was that like on product descriptions, um, you would even put shipping information and in payment stuff, even if it's duplicate, right? Like, does that make sense, or?
1: Yeah, like because like I said, like they really should be sales letters by themselves. So if people have to hunt around for, for payment information and credit card stuff and shipping stuff, then often they get lost in the side or lose interest. So even if it's just, you know, you, your shipping information page might be a page long or half a page long, but even if it's just a short blurb and it links out to the shipping page, that's better than nothing. And often a lot of the time, the you know, the product descriptions we see might be barely a paragraph long yours are pretty good but you know particularly where there's more products on the site that can be a real problem so just having some templated stuff about shipping and payment can be an easy way to fatten it out and also avoid um, Google thin content penalties as well
0: yeah I think even on my site I could still do a lot more like how we make stuff add some story to it there's a lot more I think I probably do like three four more paragraphs and you might as well do it once right because then once it's up there it gets indexed, and there's more fatter content yep. that people can see. Yep.
1: and also like having more content helps. It helps right. you get more impressions in Google Shopping or the product listing ads as well. So
0: yeah, and one thing I want to ask you too is like on video, uh, I have uh, Wistia on there. Is it is there any difference with using like Vimeo, YouTube, Wistia, or other players for like product videos or? Um, it depends on what your goal is. So yours. Because yours isn't a straight break fix
1: product, um, you know, There's, I would say, so normally I'd say YouTube videos all the way because we're trying to get the YouTube views up and get them plastered around the web. So we start ranking the, the YouTube videos. Um, and that's great where it's a very problem solution product where people are Googling a fix to a whatever it is and, you know, being number one in Google is going to get you the sale. But because yours is more of a... I guess a luxury purchase, that's not necessarily true all the time. But I think it would be worth swapping out the YouTube videos and seeing what it does to the rank. Um, It it really depends why you've got the Wistia videos there, whether you're actually looking at the analytics data and doing anything with it. If you're not doing anything with it, then definitely swapping them out for YouTube um, would be worth it. But also because the Wistia plan is quite nice and clean versus the YouTube is kind of clunky and it has a lot of things that you don't need on there. So there are kind of skins for YouTube where you can get rid of a lot of extra buttons and links and all sorts of stuff. So if you were gonna do that, I'd say clean it up and make sure you know, it looks kind of elegant in line with your brand.
0: Yeah, I notice some sites can run it through like lead player, but I've used it like a year, like, like half a year ago. I, th- I thought it was kind of clunky though. Like the buttons are a little weird and, but
1: I mean. I need- yeah, you can slim it down without lead player. Um, like if you, I think if you Google like YouTube embed code generator, there are tools out there where you can get rid of a lot of the things like the, the volume button and some of the links and a lot of the YouTube branding. So that's kind of a good kind of halfway measure. Gotcha.
0: All right. Very cool. And so uh, for anyone that's listening or watching this uh, video, uh, if they want to find out more about Pareto e-commerce, uh, can they sign up already? Is this out yet or uh, what's the deal?
1: Uh, if they head over to com and stick their email in there they'll get all the info
0: awesome very cool and uh, I guess join the email list uh, certainly this is very helpful uh, so this is what Brendan does in Ecommerce too so if there's something you want uh, go ahead check out his site ecommerce.com and Brendan thanks again for coming on the show uh, thanks for tearing down the site uh, thanks for being nice about it <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll see you in Bangkok in what October right yeah man awesome. for sure alright very cool thanks so much Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at Billmyonlinestore.com If you've got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like a cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.